What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Life Coach Zach podcast. I'm your host, Zach Rance. I'm here with a very special guest today, Britt Frank, clinician, educator, and trauma specialist. Britt, how are you doing today? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here. My pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to hop on the podcast today. Um, I came across your Instagram from another psychotherapist or doctor, and uh, I really wanted to connect with you and get your expertise on emotional intelligence. Awesome. I love talking about emotional intelligence because without it, our lives are off the rails. Yes. Absolutely. It's something, introduction, I know we don't really know each other that well. Emotional intelligence, I talk a lot about mental health right? And our mental health is our thoughts and our thoughts turn into emotions. And it's really important for us to identify and acknowledge and be aware of our emotions without becoming them. Someone should say, I'm so sad. No, you're Brit. You're not sad, right? You feel sadness. And sometimes when we start to identify with these emotions, it becomes our temperament. It becomes our personality. And then we get into a a feedback loop of negative thought patterns that create more bad emotions. Um, And, you know, it's easier said than done, but what are some ways that someone can increase their emotional intelligence? So I love that you're doing that and you're coming from the lens that you come from. Like you said, if I said, I am sad, it's like, no, I am Brit. That's like if I had a, you know, a fucked up knee and I'm like, hi, I'm knee injury. You know, we don't want to, emotional intelligence is about knowing we don't lead with our issues. We don't lead with, and I've had all the mental health diagnoses. Like I've had them all, addiction, personality disorders, the whole gamut. The work that I do really focuses on understanding that emotions are not in your mind. Mental health is not a mental process. Mental health is a physical process. It's in our physiology. So emotional intelligence, you could actually say it's body intelligence. What does my body do when I'm sad? What is my body doing when I'm pissed off? Because if you don't know that your body's involved, you're going to feel so fucked up and have no idea why. It's like, you're not crazy. You don't have a mental problem. You have a whole body physiological thing going on and often our mental health symptoms is our bodies doing exactly what our bodies are supposed to do if it's under threat or if it even thinks it's under threat even if there's no threat there right amazing it's it's that chronic mental stress that creates diseases and illnesses and you said how emotions it's it's i forgot what the word used was but it's it's body awareness or has to do with the body. So I read in, in a Joe Dispenza book, I'm sure you're familiar with him. Um, emotions is just energy in motion. Is that something you agree with? I absolutely agree with that. Yes. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? How emotions is energy emotion? Sure. And the definition that I like to use for emotions is emotions are body sensations with a story attached to them. So if I'm about to do a marathon and I've been training for months for it, my stomach's going to be hurting. My jaw is going to be, you know, clenched. My mouth is dry. My hands are sweaty. Those are physical sensations. But because my story is this thing I've been training for is about to start, my emotion will be excitement. If I'm standing in a dark street by myself at three in the morning and I don't know where I am, I'm going to have the same body sensations, clenched stomach, clenched jaw, dry mouth, sweaty palms. The story is, I don't know where I am. Oh shit. And then the emotion will be fear. So we need to understand that emotions are body sensations with a story attached to them. And if our story is wrong, we're going to feel things and not know why. So we, a mismatched story, physical sensation creates all manners of fuckery with emotions. Yikes, so much fuckery. I, I love that you brought that up about our, our, our 
emotions is tied to a story because that story doesn't necessarily have to be true. Like if I, if I tell myself the story that I'm rich and I have everything I need and all my basic needs are met and I can buy the person behind me Starbucks because I'm rich, even though I only have a thousand dollars in my bank account, I'm going to feel gratitude. I'm going to feel appreciation, right? I'm going to feel security and peace in my heart. And those emotions are healthy emotions. So the consciousness aspect of emotional intelligence is being aware of the story you're telling yourself. Is that right? 100%. And what you were just describing is great. You know, if you have resources, if you have your basic needs met, if you have relative safety, trying to create stories of gratitude is helpful. If you actually have no money in the bank and you actually have chronic illness and you're actually not able to meet your basic needs, if you're telling yourself, I should be gratitude, I should be thankful, then you're just gaslighting yourself. And then you're going to have all of these mismatched things. It's like, no, if everything is crappy, you're allowed to feel anger. And our culture is so, and I'm a big gratitude, positivity, all of the things. However, if there's a real issue happening, your story is I'm allowed to have pain about my things. Or just because I have all my basic needs met doesn't mean I'm not allowed to have stories that create fear or pain or sadness. All of our emotions are part of our biology. We're allowed to have all of them. And we're allowed to experience all of them, not just the good ones. Yep, absolutely. Being hyper-realistic hyper realism right so i love that i love that so you're a psychotherapist correct mm -hmm. and psychotherapy from my understanding i don't i don't know much about psychotherapy but you help others work through mental disorders that's kind of the the you know basic definition of what psychotherapy Therapist level okay but you don't have to have a mental disorder to need therapy you know basically what i do is help people clear out all the shit that helps them from hearing themselves think it's like who am i who am i without the stories that people say about me who am i what do i actually think what do i actually feel what do i actually want that's what i you know that's how i approach psychotherapy is let's get rid of all the crap that interrupts your innate knowing of who you are what you want and how to go after what you want so that's what therapy amazing. is no mental disorder necessary to do therapy amazing amazing therapy i i went to therapy for about a year and a half it was very helpful it was very helpful just having someone that listens to you non-judgmentally in a sacred space helps venting helps listening to your thoughts after you articulate them to whether it's a wall a mirror or a therapist helps and yeah. as a life coach, I'm very similar to a therapist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not saying I'm a therapist, but I'm very similar to a therapist in the sense that during my one-on-one -on -one sessions, um, I'm listening 90% of the time. I'm and, listening. Yeah. There's my, this, you know, this always happens at four o'clock. My, and I'm usually recording a podcast at the time. My Alexa goes off to meditate and I'm sorry. It's just, it just distracted me. But, um, if you had to give someone advice on emotional intelligence, um, what are some of the basic things that someone can do to create more emotional intelligence? And so the definition of mental health that I love that I use comes from an author that I love, M. Scott Peck. Mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs. So if you want to be emotionally intelligent, telling yourself, I'm going to buy everybody, you know, everybody Starbucks and everything is great and everything is happy. There's a degree to which that is no longer emotionally intelligent. It's like nobody. It's like, no, you're broke and you're not safe. And, you know, I was a drug addict. It's like, no, Britt, you're actually not okay. You're not fine. So let's start with emotional 
emotionally intelligent is being able to accurately match up your body sensations with the accurate stories that are going on and then having choices and options and strategies to know what to do about it if they're mismatched. So stop lying to yourself about yourself is being emotionally interesting. Yeah. You know, as, as I listen to you say that I, for a second, and I'm being fully present here right now, but for a second I lost it and I was like, how does that relate to my life? Because if I were to lay out all the facts of my life, I would be, su- I mean, I am super grateful, super happy, super appreciative for all the things I have, but sometimes I, and I'm going to be a little vulnerable and transparent here, like sometimes I don't really know where to go. I, I know the activities and the micro tasks that I need to execute on a daily basis to create more traction to move all my businesses forward and to invest in my relationships and to be more intentional about my health, physical and mental, emotional, my relationship with God. But sometimes I don't really know exactly what I'm trying to accomplish. And because I'm, I don't have that ultra clarity on what I'm trying to accomplish. I feel like my, uh, my emotions are very drastic, like super polarizing. One day I'm on top of the world, windows down, screaming songs. I'm super happy. Um, and then some days I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so far behind my colleague that's you know doing all this stuff. And I'm so far behind this guy. And how, how do I deal with that? So my question for you, and this, I'm not going to turn this into a therapy session, I promise. But my question for you is where do you find yourself getting really stuck? Like, where do you find yourself just in either like analysis paralysis where you're so in your head, you can't move. What is the thing that keeps you from doing the things and knowing the things? Like, where do you find? Yeah, that's a great question. As bad as this sounds, I feel like I'm at my worst mentally and I'm the most stuck when some of my friends are telling me how much money they're making doing other things. So honestly, that that's really where my inadequacy comes from and and that feeling of stuckness. I appreciate you sharing that because it's such a thing that we're not supposed to talk about and we're not allowed to talk about, but part of emotional intelligence, it's what I call it's, you know, my little catchphrase is shadow intelligence. What are those dark secret thoughts that we all think? We all think them. It's like, I have a really good friend. We both have high shadow intelligence. So when she's killing it, I can say, okay, there's a part of me. There's like this little secret part of me that's so jealous and feels so insecure. It's not me. I am sad. I have a part of me who feels this. And then she can say, instead of getting all defensive and pissy, she'll go, oh my gosh, what does that part of you need? How can we help that part of you join the party? And no, there's enough for everybody. My success doesn't mean less for you. And naming these these shadowy parts of us that we don't like and making room for that. Emotional intelligence is making room for wholeness, not just goodness, not just niceness, but wholeness, which means all those little parts of ourselves have a seat at the table. Right. So why do why can't I be happy for my friend that's telling me all the amazing things he's doing? Mm. So there's a lot of you ask 20 therapists that question, you'll get 20 different answers. My take on it. Why can't you be happy for him is because you're too busy fighting with yourself about that little shadow part. I should be happy for him and da 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 and, you know, telling all yourself all the affirmations. What would happen if you actually spoke to this part of yourself like it's a separate entity and was like, Hey bud, I know you're not feeling good. Where'd you get that story? You know, where's your story coming from of this? Like not enough. How can I help you through it? And it becomes self parenting instead of self talk. We want to self dialogue with these parts instead of a monologue. I can do this. I'm great. It's like, no little dude, you can do this. It's going to be okay. Like 
it's parenting the parts of ourselves right. that we don't like. Yeah. It's it's dialogue, not monologue. Exactly. That's my there's thing. two people. There's two people there. There's my thoughts, and then there's the awareness of my thoughts. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's it's so it's so ironic. It's not ironic, but that's just the word I go to when I think about how awareness is the foundation for so many things: for diet, for physical exercise, for relationships, for consciousness, for emotional intelligence. What are some ways that someone can cultivate more awareness in their life, more specifically with emotional intelligence and mental health? The the number one key to awareness is permission. And then willingness to get really honest. So with diet, and I see this in my practice all the time, I want to lose weight. I want to, you know, hit my goals. I want to whatever. It's like, that's great. And there's another part of you that's afraid. What's, what's it going to mean if I lose all this weight? Who's going to not, you know, who's not going to like me anymore? What relationships are going to have to change? Oh shoot. If I look this way, I will become sexually desirable. And what about that? So we have to like get really honest that there are parts of ourselves that do not want the goals, the money, the health, the, you know, the friendships, the like abundant life. There are parts of us that are scared of that. So we need permission to let every thought be present. They're thoughts. They're not mm. necessarily actions or realities. They're thoughts. If you don't give permission, you're fucked. Right. Right. Okay. So what, what's a practice that you can do to give yourself that permission? So a really fun one is to ask yourself every day, what are five lies that I told to myself today? And ah. if you're like, I didn't, I didn't lie. Like bullshit. We all lie, myself included. Bullshit. It's bullshit. Five lies. If you were in therapy, I'd make you do 20, but you're not. So fine. Five lies and spend time with yourself. I'll get on the treadmill tomorrow. It's like, no, you won't. And I know you won't. And you know you won't. So like, I'm only going to have one drink. That's bullshit. And I know when one means 10. So let's start with what's really true. To cultivate awareness, start with where are you lying to yourself? And if you're willing mm. to do it, and write it down every day at the end of the day where are five lies. You'll be amazed how fast you can get back into motion. Amazing. Those little- yeah. and, you know, I quickly went to what are the lies that I tell myself every day. And as soon as I – I had like two – and I'm not going to share them because they're kind of personal. But like the two, the two lies that I thought of in my head, as soon as I was like, Zach, that's bullshit. I felt self-compassion. Yeah. I, I, I felt self-compassion like, oh, dude, it's okay. Like, yeah. It's okay, you know. Yeah, but don't fucking bullshit yourself. Don't exactly. lie to yourself. It's like what you would say to a kid, you know. Like I don't have actual children because I'm so busy with all the kids in my head and my inner children and everything. But you know, it's like okay, you're lying. What's the real truth? The real truth is I don't want to. I'll use myself. I don't want to stop using drugs because using drugs feels good. And if I stop, I'm going to have to feel really shitty and really sad. And I don't want to stop. Great. The fastest way to stop an addiction is to admit you do not want to stop. I really want to stop. I really want to get healthy. Bullshit. But start with what's true. Then you can cultivate self-compassion. And then you can take that self-compassion to awareness. And then awareness leads to action leads to change. I love that. I love that so much. Um, quick, quick story. Actually, I think you would really appreciate this. I have not told anyone this, um, but I've been going to AA uh, like two, three times a week. I don't touch alcohol. I, I really, I promise, I really don't drink. I maybe two drinks a month, um, and not because of the health reasons and because I think it's immature or whatever. Like, has nothing to do with that. I just get severe hangovers. My body does not respond to alcohol well, but. 
I've been going there so I can learn more about addiction so I can help some of my clients that are going through alcoholism or addiction. I want to learn about the, the, the 12, stop, 12 step process. I want to learn how people cope with addiction. And um, there's so many different angles and so many different ways that people go through their therapy and go through the 12 steps. But um, I, love, I love how you mentioned the lies. I think that um, all the people that are in addiction, the ones that are successful, are very realistic with themselves, right? They don't tell themselves lies and they certainly don't believe the lies, right? Because there's all of them say, hey, look, you know, I am powerless to this disease and I cannot just drink a drink. I can't. I'm not that type of person. I will never be that type of person. It's either I'm an alcoholic or I'm 100% sober. And understanding your strengths and your weaknesses, we're all different biological human beings. What you respond to this way, I respond to differently, right? And um, I think I really commend and, and acknowledge the people that are going through that. And it's not easy and it is somewhat genetic for sure. So um, I don't know. I just want to touch on that yep. and, and say that to all my followers and my listeners that that's something I'm learning and trying yep. to get more experience around. Can I speak to that one th again? Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that because we need people to be honest about their struggle. No one wants to follow a perfect person because it's impossible and it's bullshit. So thank you for giving permission. I've worked the 12 steps in several programs. I love the 12 steps. They've saved my life. However, number one, addiction isn't always a disease and it's not always genetic. There's a thousand reasons why people get stuck in addiction. One of the limitations of AA is that if you're not abstinent, you're an addict and it's a very binary black and white you're this or that it's not always true number one mm. number two i um separate from 12 steps on the whole character defect and moral failings because addiction in my experience and in all the people that have trained me addiction is not a moral defect it is an attempt by our system to protect us from pain and in the absence of some other part of us taking over and coping with the pain, addiction is self-protection. It's not a character failing. And that's so important to start with. Your system's doing its damnedest to protect you from death or pain. Addiction is a coping mechanism. It's not a good one, but we have to start with what's the function of addiction. It's pain maintenance. It's pain management. It's keeping us alive. And I thank all my addict parts because I would be dead. I wouldn't be talking to you if I didn't learn how to cope with my life using addiction. So 12 steps are awesome. Everyone should do it. And it is not a moral defect in my opinion. Amazing. Well said. And it's funny that you said that because I agree with that also. You know, when they say alcoholism, it's a disease and I was born with this disease. And, you know, you when you're in the room, when you're in the room, you I can only speak for myself. When I'm in the room, I want to believe that. I want to believe that for everyone. That, But at the end of the day, whatever works, whatever works. They're just trying to get sober. They're just trying to get clean, rebuild back the relationships with their family and their children and get back into society and hold a job and all those things, right? So whatever they got to do to do that, yes. And look, we can disagree. I, I, I agree with you. I'm telling you, I agree with you 100%. It's not black and white. It's not binary. You're not just an alcoholic or you know, you can be sober, but, um, uh, I, I agree with you. I'm sorry, but whatever works, whatever works. Yeah. 
I'm with you on that. I get a lot of pushback because I was really, really like hardcore 12 stepper. And then I started to shift and it's like, well, what if we looked at addiction? It's not for some people in some cases, it's a disease in some people, in some cases, it's an incurable mental illness in some people for some cases, it's something else. And the treatment is different and the path forward is different. And so again, my take is make room for all of it. 12 step is one path. It's not the only path and it's not necessarily the best path. Mm -hmm. It is one of many paths to whatever you define recovery as for you. Can I ask you a question on the spectrum from secular religion to spirituality? Where do you fall? (laughs) So I grew up super agnostic. Then I became like super hippie. Then I joined a fundamentalist Christian cult and did that for a while. And now I fall on the do what you do you. I'm spiritual. I do not subscribe to any particular dogma. And I believe spirituality isn't spirituality isn't just what you believe it's what inspires you and who are you taking your marching orders from if i'm so worried what my mother's going to think of me i have made my mother my spiritual power if i'm so worried about what my friends are going to think they're my spiritual higher power so what inspires you where do you take your marching orders that's my spirituality yeah. that's the frame i come i like that and you know what that's helping me a lot that's helping me a lot a lot because you've went from here to there to here to there to like kind of here and um i i'm not that i'm similar to that i was raised jewish family's oh yeah yeah i was raised jewish my family is pretty religious we attend um the high holy days and we do hanukkah and stuff um not conservative more reformed but Mm -hmm. i after reading a ton of books on spirituality find that it's healthier for me and I have a better relationship with God if I don't identify with a word and I identify with a certain way that religion is. But I do want to say this, that I feel like if life after death was taken out of the equation, we wouldn't really have religion. I love the turn that this conversation has taken because I grew up Jewish too. And the most rebellious thing that you can do, as you know, like I'm a Long Island Jew girl. The most rebellious thing you could do is not get a tattoo or dye your hair. It's to become a Christian. The only thing that a Jewish girl can do to really rebel in a hardcore way is to come home and say, I believe in Jesus. And so I did. And then from one extreme to the other, you know, it's so important to know spirituality doesn't need to involve God either. It's what lights you up. And my spirituality changes on any given day. Some days it's my business. Some days it's like the ocean. Some days it's music. Some days it's like food. It doesn't matter. It's what makes you less of a dick in your life. That's your spirituality. Like that's the whole point of it is to like, don't be a dick. Whatever you need to not be a dick is your spirituality. And I support I that. I love that. Don't be a dick. Help people, make others happy, give, serve. That That's the whole point of human beings. Like we, we're supposed to help right. each other. Well, and to be happy, because the thing is, is that you can help other people and be a total miserable piece of shit. You know, happy people generally out of that overflow want to give. Happy people want to support. Happy people want to lift other people up. And they know they don't have to, like, protect their own little slice of, like, existence. Mm -hmm. So my thing is be happy. Go figure out how to be happy. If serving others helps you with that, fine. But if you focus on being like the happiest version of you, you can, you're going to find giving and supporting and helping is going to be part of that. Well said. What are your core values? Honesty. (laughs) 
that's a biggie for me because in the mental health world, in the wellness world, in the fitness world, and in the church, religious, you know, spiritual world, there's so much bullshit. So authenticity and honesty, and then boundaries is another big core value of mine. Mm. You know, like you can be authentic and vulnerable with boundaries. You can have compassion with boundaries. Anything that exists without boundaries tends to go sideways very yeah. quickly. So honesty, boundaries are biggies for Amazing. me. Amazing. Yeah. I love that. Same here. My Markov values are, are health and happiness. And and I feel like honesty goes goes along. Not just honesty with other people, but honesty with myself. Yeah, I think that's even more important, right? Like I tell white lies to people. Like for example, if I ran 13.2 miles, oh, I ran 14 miles today, right? No, I didn't run 14 miles. I ran 13.2 miles right? Or mm-hmm. just things like that. Or yeah, I fast every single day. No, two days a week, I eat, you know, in the morning. But I tell white lies to other people. But you know what, it, it's more important that, that I'm being honest with myself and taking ultra accountability and responsibility for my choices, my thoughts and my actions, right? So you're not my client. But if you were, I would say here's a fun exercise for you or for anybody. Catch yourself in a lie and then try to catch it in the spot. So if I'm saying to you, oh, my gosh, I ran 13, you know, miles today. Wait, no, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. I ran 12.9 and just catch them in real time. I am going to start doing that. I am. I love that. Oh, my God. I'm literally going to start doing that. Oh, I ran 13.2 miles. Or no, I ran 14 miles. Actually, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. I ran 13.2 miles. God, I would gain so much more respect if I said things like that. And people will respect you more too because generally people know when we're full of shit. And I was like, you know, they know. I respect the hell out of people who catch themselves in lies and go, no, not like backpedaling. Just say it. Oh, wait, no, that was a full on lie. And it's not a big deal and it's not that deep and we don't have to make a thing out of it. But catch it, name it, own it, fix it in real time, your life will change. It's not like you're being malicious or trying to manipulate anyone. You just like told a lie and it just happened. Oh, wait, that's a lie. X, Y, Z. Amazing. Brit, so last thing I wanted to touch on. Super Mm -hmm. congratulations on your book coming out. March 15th, is that the date? And you can can pre-order it right now, right? Yeah, you can go to scienceofstuck.com and pre-order it Scienceofstuck.com. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, head over to scienceofstuff.com and check out- Stuck, C-K, Science of Stuff. Okay, go over there. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm gonna drop the link below to Britt's website and that website as well. It has all of her social media pages, so you can click that link. Britt, thank you so much. This was- an amazing conversation. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Thank you so much. I appreciate the work you're doing. You're awesome. Thank you, Britt. Have a wonderful day. I'm sure I'll see you again soon. And uh, looking forward to checking out the book. Thank you so much. All right, bye.